Well, hello, Peace Bible Church. This is Pastor Casey, and we are back with another episode of our Sermon Talkback podcast series. This is a podcast in which we answer questions that are submitted uh, during our sermons at Peace Bible Church. And week after week, we have had good questions. Uh, We've had questions almost every week, sometimes multiple ones. Uh, This week, we have uh, one good question to deal with, and this concerns something that I alluded to in my in my sermon this last week. We were in Luke 3, and Luke begins chapter 3, uh, leading into uh, talking about John the Baptist and his work. He sets it in its historical context. And so, uh, Luke 3, verse 1, he says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, and then he lists some other leaders after that. And I made a remark in my sermon about Pontius Pilate being uh, the most famous Roman who has ever lived. Uh, and I believe that this is that this is probably really a true thing. Uh, it would seem that the most famous Roman who ever lived is, is Julius Caesar. And certainly there are other famous Romans, you know, Marcus Aurelius and people like that. But Pontius Pilate, I said, by virtue of his inclusion in the Apostles' Creed, is known, has been known by more people throughout the centuries than probably any other Roman. Now, the Apostles' Creed, of course, is an early Christian belief statement that was recited by uh, baptismal candidates in the early church. Uh, it's called the Apostles' Creed. There's no there's no direct evidence that Jesus' apostles wrote the creed, uh, but it is seen as reflecting the beliefs of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles. Uh, and the Apostles' Creed, of course, says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell, or some versions say he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. From whence, uh, sorry, I'm reciting this from memory. He ascended into heaven, uh, and from there he will return to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Something like that. Again, that was from memory, so if I missed parts of it or screwed parts of it up, uh, that's okay. Uh, But there are three people, three human people mentioned in that creed. One, of course, is Jesus. Another one is Mary. And the third is Pontius Pilate. And so Pontius Pilate, it seems like a kind of an obscure detail to put in the creed. And like the creed doesn't benefit a ton from it. Like that creed, the Apostles' Creed is really tight in what it includes. Like it's very well edited. It is down to just the essentials of what it needs to say in a concise form. And they could easily have removed the name Pilate from the creed. Just that Jesus suffered, he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. Why did they have to say he suffered under 
Pontius Pilate. And I said, I have some thoughts on this. And so that was all that the question was, is what is your theory about Pontius Pilate? Uh, why did I say I have thoughts about, about Pontius Pilate and why he was included in the creed? Well, this goes back to some things about Pilate. Some of these are, are biblical and some of these are some more traditional things. But I think that Pilate is a very fascinating figure in the scriptures. And I think he's one that might be uh, misunderstood in spots. And let me just explain uh, a little bit about church history. So if you go all the way back, like a thousand years ago, to the year 1054, the church experienced what we now know as the Great Schism. And so if you're familiar with uh, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, those are kind of the two main branches of, you know, traditional church forms. Uh, they split, they used to be one church. They, there were a lot of differences. I won't get into all of the reasons for this, but suffice it to say that the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church split in 1054 AD. And the Roman Catholic Church like excommunicated the Bishop of Constantinople. Uh, very controversial stuff. And so with that, those churches kind of set on their own paths. And, you know, if we grew up, most of us in Protestant evangelical circles, that's our church, uh, you know, background. And so to a lot of us, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy will look very similar. Uh, but there are a lot of differences uh, in how they practice. And so one difference that is a subtle difference between the two, but a noteworthy one, is how they view Pontius Pilate. And so the Roman Catholic Church, which is known as the Western Church, has viewed Pilate very negatively, has seen Pilate as like a villain, uh, you know, as one who like persecuted Jesus. Uh, Pontius Pilate, on the other hand, in the Eastern churches has been viewed very positively and sometimes has even been held to be a convert to Christianity. Now get this, in two uh, branches of the Eastern Church, so the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which of course comes out of Ethiopia, and then the Coptic Orthodox Church, which is from like, you know, North Africa and some areas of the Middle East. These two branches of the Orthodox Church hold Pontius Pilate to be a saint. They've actually venerated him. They have given him sainthood, which is maybe a remarkable thing. Uh, to know that there's a church that has done this. And not recently, they've held this for, for centuries and centuries. And now beyond that, uh, in the wider Eastern Orthodox Church, Pontius Pilate's wife has been even more venerated and seen as a convert to Christianity. So, uh, what does this have to do with the creed? We will come back to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk a little bit more about Pontius Pilate, because I think that it is an interesting subject. I think he is a very, very fascinating person in the scriptural account. Uh, for the most part, in the Bible, he doesn't show up until uh, the crucifixion. You know, when the Jews bring Jesus over to the Roman governor, because they can't put anyone to death, and so they have to come to Pilate. Uh, in order to give Jesus the death penalty, they need to get his assent to that. Uh, but really, he doesn't show up much before that. You know, we read the passage in Luke 3 that just set John the Baptist's ministry during the time of Pontius Pilate. There is one other significant passage 
in Luke 13. This is when uh, some people come and they ask Jesus a question about a really difficult thing. Uh, Luke 13, 1, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so these people come and they say, Jesus, have you heard about this? These Galileans, these Israelites from the north of Israel, they had come to offer sacrifices and Pilate killed them. That's what it's saying, that he mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Uh, We don't know a lot about this event otherwise, but obviously something incredibly tragic, something very evil that Pilate had done, you know, that he killed these people, had them killed for some reason when they came to worship. This is when Jesus talks about uh, needing to repent or, you know, you will likewise perish. That's in Luke 13. But this is the one detail about Pilate in our Bibles outside of the crucifixion accounts. And he's shown to be like very vicious in that, you know, that he mingled the blood of Galilean worshipers with their sacrifices. What What a horrible thing to have done. And a great tragedy. That's why people come and ask Jesus about it. Uh, But then we come back to Pontius Pilate in uh, the time of Jesus' crucifixion. right? And so, like Matthew 27, verse 1 and 2, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Again, because Jews, being an occupied people uh, under the jurisdiction of the Romans, were not formally allowed to execute people themselves. They had to have the Romans do it. So uh, Pontius Pilate is mentioned in connection with the crucifixion in all four Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. Uh, There are interesting details in each of these. Let's start with... Matthew. Matthew, it says in Matthew 20, 17, we know it was Pilate's choice who to uh, put forward the prisoner Barabbas. You know, he said, I can release for you one prisoner during the feast. Should I release Barabbas or should I release Jesus? And Matthew gives us two reasons for why Pilate did that. Matthew 27, 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So it's like Pilate knew this whole thing was a sham. He knew that the reason that the priests had brought Jesus over there wasn't because he was such a criminal. It's because they were envious of him. And then Matthew 27, 19, it says this, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So Pilate's there doing his work, and he gets a message somehow sent to him from his wife, and she's like, don't mess with Jesus. I had a dream about this, and, you know, this is going to be bad. Now, again, keeping with uh, the Western and Eastern view of Pilate and of his wife, this has been interpreted differently. Uh, It's been in the East, where they view Pilate and his wife more positively, or even as saints, this has been seen as a divine dream, that God spoke to her through this dream. Uh, But sometimes in the West, they actually interpreted this as a satanic dream, like it was a demon that told her this because Satan was trying to get Jesus to not die for the sins of the world. 
I think that this being a divine dream is a much better interpretation. Uh, so Pilate is troubled by this. He tries to get them to, to take Barabbas instead of Jesus. Of course, they don't. Pilate asks the question that he asks again, you know, in Mark and other Gospels where he says, Why this man? What evil has he done? Verse 23, But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. And then we see Pilate in Matthew washing his hands, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You can do this now yourselves. And of course, the people say, that's fine. We'll take his blood on us. And then Jesus is delivered over to be crucified. Uh, it's, yeah, it's said, though, that Pilate in Matthew, one thing I skipped over there back in Matthew 27:14, when Pilate talks to Jesus, it says that, you know, Jesus didn't answer any of his charges. So the governor was greatly amazed. He was greatly amazed by Jesus. And then he tried to set him free. When he couldn't do it, he turned him over to be crucified out of political expedience. Now, a little bit later in Matthew 27, it says it's Pilate that uh, allows Joseph of Arimathea to take the body to be buried. We see that actually, I think, in all four Gospels. But we have something unique in Matthew at the end here. It says the next day, so after the crucifixion, so on Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and then the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So we see in Matthew that it is Pilate who uh, was involved in securing the tomb of Jesus. Of course, letting Jesus be buried and then setting up a guard on that. Uh, we see much of the same in Mark. Uh, when we get to Luke and we look at Pontius Pilate, we won't look at this in great detail. Uh, we see him saying things like, I find no guilt in this man. Uh, we see Pilate sending Jesus off to Herod in an attempt to get out of this trouble. Like he didn't want to deal with it. I don't think he wanted to crucify Jesus. And when Jesus comes back in Luke 23 and verse 14, he, he, Pilate tells the people, he says, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. And he thought that that would satisfy them. Uh, three different times in Luke, we see Pilate intending to release Jesus, but it never works. Uh, eventually, the crowds prevail, and he gives in. Uh, but then we have John, the Gospel of John, which is the most interesting when it comes to Pilate. So the same thing, Jesus is brought to Pilate. Pilate, we know, did not like the Jewish people. He's bothered by them. It's said they probably brought Jesus there at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning. So he's probably like really annoyed with all of this. Uh, very early morning, uh, the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate, and a lot of the same sort of stuff happens here. But what's interesting in John is that Pilate 
repeatedly, a couple of different times, he goes into his headquarters. So he leaves the crowds and then he calls Jesus in there and he has these private conversations with Jesus. Listen to John 18, uh, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So they're having this back and forth, super fascinating conversation about kings and kingdoms and the nature of truth. And then Pilate, after this, goes back out to the Jews and he says, I, I find no guilt in this man. And so he offers to release Barabbas instead, or to release Jesus. And then the Jews say, No, release Barabbas instead. Uh, Pilate has Jesus punished. Uh, and then he shows the Jews, I'm bringing you out. I'm bringing him out to you, this is 19.4 in John, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Like, look at this guy! This is the guy! He's all beaten up, he's got a crown of thrones, he's a sad-looking excuse for a king. Pilate's saying, look at this guy, this is who is threatening you, but they keep crucifying, or yelling, at him to be crucified. So Pilate says, take him yourselves and crucify him then, for I find no guilt in him. And so then John 19, 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. John 19, 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Like he hears that Jesus was calling himself the son of God, and he says, oh no, I don't know if I want to get messed up in this. And coupled with what we know from Matthew, that his wife had had this dream, I think he's starting to rethink all of this even more. So he calls Jesus back into his headquarters again, John 19, 9. He says, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over you, over to you has the greater sin. That's John 19, 11. That's a super fascinating verse here. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, commonly, that's understood as uh, Jesus telling Pilate, you know, that his authority was coming from God. But I think that might more likely be Jesus saying, like, look, you're just a puppet here. He was put there by Caesar. Uh, that's probably more the authority from above. Pilate isn't the ruler of the world. He's just carrying out a task. And that's why that word, therefore, is kind of an odd one to have in there. Therefore, because you have this position where you're not in ultimate authority, therefore the one who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And of course he's talking there about the chief priests. I think that what he's saying there in John 19, 11 is he's telling Pilate, look, this is not your fight. You didn't start this. 
you got brought into this, you're here because someone else put you here. And I think he's kind of saying, look, it's okay. You're not the one who's so at fault here. The ones who delivered me over to you have the greater sin. They are more at fault. I think it's Jesus saying, perhaps, you can let this happen. You can let me go. They want me crucified. It can happen. It's okay. And then it says in verse 12, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so then you see there, after Jesus says to Pilate, if that's what he's saying, like he's kind of releasing him to allow this to happen, Pilate then seeks to release Jesus all the more. He's like, oh, this is a righteous man. You know, he's even willing to die for his principles. And so he tries to release him all the more. And he says, you know, back a few verses later, he says to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And now Pilate, again, he was not a fan of the Jews, but I think that he liked Jesus in a sense. I think he was fascinated by Jesus. Matthew and Mark both tell us that he was amazed. You see the line of questioning that he has in John, and then he's kind of like taunting the Jews. Do you want me to crucify your king? I think he's like, this man would be a better king than any of the kings that you guys have had. Pilate probably doesn't know a lot about him, but what he knows, I think that he, that he likes in a sense, uh, more than most of the Jewish leaders that he had to work with. He probably preferred Jesus. And then, of course, in uh, John, it's Pilate who puts the inscription over the cross. It says, John 19, 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription uh, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. He's like, I'm not changing it. Uh, it. You know, he was, yeah, he was okay with what he had wrote. He's going to call Jesus the king of the Jews, whether they liked it or not. So uh, all of this is to show a couple things. One, that Pilate was fascinated by Jesus. We see that a couple times in the Gospels. Two, that Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. And he really tried to make that not happen. And then three, I think what we see in John is that Jesus like released Pilate to allow him to be crucified. Therefore, the one who has given me over to you has the greater sin. And so you can see, looking at some of this, how even though Pilate was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that he was not the chief villain there. You know, he was not the one guilty of the greatest sin. I won't say he didn't sin in it. He should have stood up more. He shouldn't have acted out of political expediency. He's certainly not a believer in Christ at that point, if he ever was. Uh, But he was not then. And so Pilate's not like a really admirable character, but at least he is positive toward Jesus. But what I find really fascinating are the details 
that are in John's gospel and that detail that is in Matthew's gospel. Matthew talks about how Pilate's wife sent him a message about a dream that she had. And John records these private conversations that Pilate had with Jesus. And the question that I ask looking at these is how did they get this information? How did they learn about these conversations? And, you know, the easy answer is just to say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired the Gospels, and so God told them this information. But I don't think that that's how the Gospels were written. Uh, you know, we see Luke especially using sources. Uh, it seems very clear that they did work in this. Now, a lot of John's Gospel is eyewitness account, but he wasn't an eyewitness of that part. He wasn't in the room with Pilate and Jesus. So how did he know? And this tells me that in all likelihood, I think, the gospel writers had an inside source to the goings-on of Pilate and Pilate's wife. They had somebody who told them about these things, who told them about these conversations so that they could learn about them and put them into their books. This means that somebody close to Pilate became a believer, I believe, was a member of the church got to know the apostles who wrote the Gospels, told them these things so that they could put them in. Now, who was it that became a believer and passed this information along to Matthew and to John in particular? Was it Pilate's wife? Uh, perhaps, you know, there's a stronger tradition for that. It goes back a long ways. Or was it Pilate himself? Could Pontius Pilate have become a believer in Jesus Christ? Of course he could have. Do we know that he did? No. Are there old traditions saying that he did? Yes. Are there old traditions that also paint him as like a villain and a hater of God and all of that? Yes. Was he villainous before he came to Christ? Yes, most certainly. We've seen that in Luke 13, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't have come to Christ and be forgiven for that. So, all this, coming back to the creed, how the creed, again, the Apostles' Creed is very old. You know, uh, coming, if not during the time of the apostles, probably right after that time. Uh, so early in the church's history, maybe like the early second century, something like that. Uh, how did Pilate's name get into the creed? And I think that it's probably because he or his wife were known in the church. And so if Pilate was known in the church... I wonder if it may have even been him who insisted on having it in there as a matter of humility, as a matter of repentance. Again, I don't know if this is the case, but it would certainly be a beautiful thing if it were true. But regardless of whether it was Pilate, whether it was his wife, I think even though it's talking about Jesus suffering under Pilate, I think the reason that he is mentioned in the creed over uh, the Jewish priests or Herod or these others is because he is seen in a more positive light and that positive light might have had to do with either him or his wife or both of them coming to Christ in some sense and being known by the church. Now again this is speculative I understand that I'm not you know speaking dogmatically here uh, you know if you want to see Pilate as just a terrible villain you know, go ahead. I think you have some things to answer for in Scripture. I think he's a more sympathetic character than that. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. He certainly did some monstrous, monstrous things, and he certainly 
uh, was involved in having Jesus crucified. As I said, he should have stood up for him further. Uh, But again, that's my theory. Why is Pilate's name in the creed? I think it's because he probably ended up having some connection to the church, either through himself or through his wife, and that his inclusion in the creed was like a demonstration of repentance and of owning up to what he had done. And so I think that's that's my guess. That's my guess. Again, it's just a guess. Uh, that's why I didn't put this in the sermon. Uh, I'd probably never put that in the sermon because this isn't anything that you can prove biblically, but it's something that I think is really, really interesting. Now, uh, one other thing, there has been some speculation. So Pilate's wife, we don't know her name, uh, but she's often called Procla or Claudia Procla. And so there is some uh, suspicion, there has been through the years, that in 2 Timothy 4 and 21, where Paul says, Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Some have at times thought that that Claudia would be uh, Pontius Pilate's wife. And Paul writing from Rome, Pilate and his wife may have moved back to Rome. Is it a possibility? Sure, but it's entirely speculative and we can't build anything on that. Uh, But there are early references to Pilate's wife's conversion as early as the late 2nd or early 3rd century. So again, very strong tradition there. And it's interesting to think about what might have been. And it reminds us, if we think about it, that Jesus can save anybody. Uh, You know, and that when Paul would say, I was the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church. You might wonder, would Pilate have been around and say, I don't know. I might be more the chief of sinners. I actually had Christ crucified. Uh, But regardless, either one can be forgiven. Anyone can be forgiven who comes to Christ in faith. His blood covers everybody's sins, even the worst of sins, even those of a Paul, even those of a Pilate. So we don't know if he came to faith. I think it's possible. I think it's more likely that his wife did. But either way, he certainly could have. And so it's fun to think about. So that's my theory. This is getting really rambly. So I will sign off now and wish you a good day.